most of my peers I see are always you know, optimizing for the short term. I don't know, everyone's thinking six months, one year, you know, uh, like what is the right thing to do? And I think as an org, culturally, we are thinking long term, right? As in like, if a customer comes to us, do I make 3000 rupees in one month or I'm okay to make 300 rupees a year in about 10 years, right? And if the customer is going to survive 10 years, I'd rather make 300 rupees a month over 10 years because this customer can potentially bring in a lot of business to us in the future versus a 3000 rupee customer will come and go and you know because of you know was not really incrementally add any value to the business my guest today needs no introduction nitin kamat has been recognized as one of the most influential entrepreneurs of the last decade. Uh, yes, he's been associated with startups, but he's an established business today. Uh, winner of numerous business awards, primarily because he's built a robust, profitable business without any external capital. And his journey, along with his brother, has been a, like a sort of a great journey of entrepreneurship, a product which came and disrupted uh, the industry that he was working in. And on this episode of the Bloom Podcast, we would love to hear more about Nitin's story, his motivations, his ability to sort of persevere through, you know, this decade plus journey. And how did he build this massive business without outside capital? And most importantly, for all the young listeners out there and entrepreneurs who are aspiring to be someone like a Nitin Kamat, what lessons can he impart? And uh, eventually he's a great example of the theme of this year's podcast, uh, which is the power of compounding. And you've seen that impact as he rose up the ranks and became the leading brokerage in the country. So welcome again, Nitin. Lovely to have you on the podcast and thanks for taking the time. Yeah, a pleasure. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, so let's get going. I think the first segment I want to cover a little bit of the backstory. I know it's well documented. Uh, there are many versions of it that are already there in the public domain. But while the story is documented and you've bootstrapped this into a you know, yes, anybody's guess on how how valuable it is on any given day. But yes, it's clearly a multi-billion dollar company. It's taken over a decade. But what would be most interesting is, I think, when you look at the venture lens today, we keep questioning these young founders, how do you build a, how does this become a billion dollar business? How does this become a unicorn? Or, you know, all of these fancy terms that the venture industry uses. But what was the trigger for you to A, start the business and what is the second trigger when you know, oh my God, this is going to become big and I want to pursue this. Were you content with whatever the size of the business, I will be happy doing this. Yeah. I'm just curious to know. So the thing is, I started trading the market in the late 90s. You know, a lot of people think of Zeroda as you know, something that started in 2010, which is 13 years old. But in my head, it's actually 23, 24 years old because uh, the day I started trading the markets, wow. it's really wow. when... No, the business began, you know, in the sense it didn't, call, it was not called Zeroda. Zeroda is just another avatar of what I was doing from, from then. Got it. So what happened was around 2007-8, uh, I was very active in the online world by then. You know, I used to run really large Yahoo Messenger groups, Orkut groups on trading and markets and etc. So uh, Nikhil had joined me by around 2006-7 and he is a better trader than I am. And until then, we were sitting and trading the markets, right? As in, uh, and... The bet was really, uh, can you know, why two people should sit and trade? Uh, if Nikhil's doing a good job at it, maybe he should just increase the quantity. I mean, it's as simple as that, right? As in. Interesting. Yeah, it's the right perspective. Yes. Right. Yeah, and uh, and I, anyways, always had this whole, you know, like keda of sorts, you know, to 
go and talk about markets online. So uh, the back was that why not try to attempt to be a broker to for very active traders like us who are paying a lot of fees and were getting services which weren't very transparent of sorts. Uh, it was nothing like what Zeroda is today. I mean, it was never meant to be this. You know, it was really meant to be like a small boutique kind of a firm. And the plan was just to attract that small niche bunch of traders who are very active on online trading communities. And uh, so, yeah, so that's how Zeroda started. You know, I don't, I don't think I thought of it as a real business as in, until maybe around 2015. Oh, wow. <laughs> that late? In, in yeah. 1450. Okay. I had met you by then, I think. Around that time is when we first yeah, met. Yeah. 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 The thing is, uh, you know, Kalash, uh, who is, you know, who heads our tech, he, I mean, he's a co-founder in the business. He yeah. doesn't like to be called a co-founder because he joined us in 2013, but he's yeah. as much as a co-founder as I am in the business. So he joined us in 2013. And uh, the journey from vendor-led products to, you know, like a, you know, like a fintech firm started after he joined us. 2015 is when we put out our in-house products. Because, you know, I, I was already questioning on, you know, like your pricing and your transparency can't really be a moat of sort, right? And someone will easily catch up on that. That's correct. And yeah, in, in 2015, when we launched our in-house products was when, you know, the realization kind of hit that, you know what, now you also have a better product with everything else, which means now we can really build on this. And uh, and coincidentally, or you know, we are at that whole right place, right time, because this is also when we could now start using Aadhaar for online onboarding. Correct. Changed everything. Yeah, the speed of onboarding. Yeah, just because until then, you know, financial services firm, the only way to grow was to, you know, put more branches, right? And and I had by then decided that I'm not going to go raise VC money. So I knew that, you know, without doing that, you can't really go set up, like, I don't know, thousands of branches. So, but the whole Aadhaar then, you know, just, you know, I think our ambitions grew quite a bit, you know, in 2015. And until then, we were not really sure if it's a real business or not. And, and since we're on that point, uh, two branch questions. One, I was going to ask you anyway, but curious to know, uh, was it the combination of what Kailash was doing, your sort of ambition to make this accessible to others via your products and other, which created the massive spike in 1617 and, and then made this like a really imaginably large business? Uh, when, when did you think this can become a very, very large business? Well, the thing is, you know, we get a lot of credit for expanding the markets. And I usually tell that I'm not that deluded to believe in that, you know, so in a sense. Uh, I mean, we were just there, you know, in the greatest bull market of India, right? And with the right products, right initiatives, right team, etc. So, uh, and all these three together and an underlying bull market, which is attracting people to the markets, right? I mean, a good product won't, you know. I mean, it's you know, you need you need people to be making money to true, be able true. to do it, you know. So, so yeah, all all of this together, but uh, the real scale started coming in, you know, as and when the bull market picked up, right? As in, uh, uh, like two thousand twenty, we were at a million customers. And then from we have grown 10x from there in like two years. Oh, wow. So it's that that last bit of rally is like really powerful. I, I think there's, there's two lessons in, I know we're coming to power of compounding this is the third segment, but you know, there's two interesting sort of tidbits we shouldn't forget. One is people talk about, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs will say there is an element of luck that plays in and, you know, and that a lot of entrepreneurs fail because of timing or, or the lack of, right? And, and the ones who succeed, you get timing right. They say, you, oh, you got timing right. But what I think they're ignoring is that journey all the way till 2015, right? So you, if you have, if you're persistent chasing that singular problem, and you've surrounded yourself with, you know, the right people to build, as you said, the right products, the timing will present itself eventually, and which is essentially seems like you know the story here of, yeah. that I'm hearing from you around zero, the right? Yeah, I mean, just That's, to add one more point, there, I think you need to, if you want to survive, if you want to get lucky, you need to just 
survive long enough to get lucky as well right as in yeah yeah that, that's a that's a common yeah. one as well that the best the greatest entrepreneurs say but i know you're not taking as much credit but you know exactly what entrepreneurs seem to forget that they want a certain of urgency i know you tweeted about it recently and there are multiple misaligned incentives vcs want urgency entrepreneurs get caught up in that urgency you're trying to drive value artificially much ahead of its time whether that's market sizing whether it's running through money whether it's hiring without any purpose uh and and you you this is a, you're a great example of like you know building within your means for a very long time and then when the market actually takes off you've already become self sustainable so you're able to take advantage of that now you said it and therefore i have to branch into that question you said you had decided that you won't take vc money to to my credit <laughs> <laughs> as a vc i think like an early stage startup generally benefits from you know the the network effects of what it means to be a vc funded company right uh, insights from all investors might not be great but you have a sounding board you have an advisory board you have some access to advisors you have more capital when you need it potentially all of these are all ranges of probability i get that but why did you and nikhil say uh, one is of course we can we are self sustainable i get that but i know for a fact and i've heard it from the market that many people wanted to come and offer you growth capital right and say we want a piece of this great business and you know you can do secondaries you can do take money and grow faster and you yourself said you went from where you were in 15 16 to what scale you've hit in 22 theoretically you could have theoretically you could have grown faster to that mark by having that capital uh you might say that's not true it would have only happened at the same pace and maybe that is the right answer but prior to that why did you switch off from vcs and win every sort of bootstrap plus uh, every entrepreneurship <laughs> award without the vcs yeah so so the thing is uh 2013 is when really the first time i got to interact with vcs and you know the startup community i, I don't think you know it was like you know this whole you know this conversation around cac mao dao you know i mean i i i i couldn't get that you should get a customer who will not pay to use your services you know i mean in the sense it, it didn't sit well with me as a as an entrepreneur mm. and i think there is also a realization then that you know if you get into this game you cannot stop at one round you know in the sense you have to then you know it then becomes the deepest pocket wins kind of a race yeah that realization was probably there you know right, right at the start uh, the other thing was in our business like you know because i had done this for so long i had also realized that you didn't need i mean people don't look at say a shahrukh khan dancing and decide to open a trading account doesn't work like that i mean i kind of knew that our business has to be through word of mouth because you know it's usually people how they decide to trade and invest in the market is you know there's a friend you're having a coffee then he says you know i invested right. i made some money and then he says where are you trading you know like you need that Yeah, it's a trust. It's a layers of Correct, trust have yeah, to be built right? before you actually buy a financial product of any kind. Yeah. Of so, I mean, we worked on that significantly, right? As in, I've I've been maybe yeah answering customer queries on our our multitude of forums, you know, just to build a trust. You know, for like, even today, I spend at least an hour answering our customers as me because that builds a lot yeah. of trust. I get market intelligence, you know, all of that. Amazing. So yeah, so 2013-14 is when we realized. But then, thankfully, we were profitable in the sense we had, you know, we were making enough. I don't know the other thing. I think culturally, right? Uh, I think me and Kailash are more like this than Nikhil. But I think we're not very ambitious, you know. You know, in the sense, I mean, there was there was never this whole idea. There's no chase of saying I want to be a unicorn or I want to be number one. Or, you know, I was supremely passionate about what we are doing, and the and the idea was that you get up every day and do 
you know, get better at something and you know, you'll get to wherever you have to get to in life. I love my music, I love my sports. I mean, I have a, I have a, have a life outside business. Yeah. And I don't want to be chasing something which I can never reach in life because then, you know, you're always constantly getting up and chasing something. Very high point in Maslow's hierarchy reached very early in life. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic to hear. No, I think it, it matters also, uh, as you said, uh, surrounding yourself, uh, having a Kailash and, you know, being having these co-pilots is Absolutely, also important. Yeah, yeah. It's very measured and tempered then. I was I actually had a couple of questions around what he has brought to the firm, uh, more from what the firm stands for. And I'm curious on how, was that like your core DNA at you know, Nitin's level is what I was keen on. So you're, you're lauded for like, you know, product innovation and like UI, UX. And yes, there was a, the bar was low, one can argue, right? The Indian brokerage industry had not evolved dramatically on tech, but it looks like a world-class product, right? You can compete with anyone. I know you haven't gone overseas. What guides you on that front? Are there any tips, any uh, philosophy that you followed, any books that, or people that inspired you to do it? Uh, or is it, and it, it must have been there even before Kailash came. And how has he taken it? Uh, how have both of you taken this to the next level? Because I think that's that's what Zero has known. Yeah, I mean, you know, even today when someone comes, you know, even within the team, and someone comes and asks, you know, what is our motor as a business? I say just the philosophy. You know, like the way we think of customer is very hard for a competition to think of it like that. Mm. Because I I was a trader for 10, 12 years before Zerosa started. And I, you know, I think every single thing that we are doing as a business today is considering me as that person. Like, just to, for example, just to have a no spam policy, right? As in, we haven't once sent an email or a push notification asking someone to buy or sell. Very, knowing very well that, you know, this can give you revenue or whatever. You wouldn't have liked it if you were on the other side and you're saying that. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's a right. So and, and also, I think, I think the problem that I see, I think where we have done okay as compared to the rest is, uh, most of my peers I see are always you know, optimizing for the short term. I don't know, everyone's thinking six months, one year, you know, uh, like what is the right thing to do? And I think as an all culturally, we are thinking long term, right? As in like, if a customer comes to us, do I make 3000 rupees in one month or I'm okay to make 300 rupees a year in about 10 years, right? And if the customer is going to survive 10 years, I'd rather make 300 rupees a month over 10 years because this customer can potentially bring in a lot of business to us in the future. Versus a three thousand rupee customer will come and go, and you know, because of you know, was not really incrementally add any value to the business. So, so some of these kind of philosophies is, is I think, is what has kept the business together in the sense. A lot of us on the core team, I think, we think of it like that, and 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 it's also very, like I said, you know, I mean, one of the reasons, you know, because the theme is compounding. I think something that doesn't get spoken about much is, is that you know, the people's skills also compound over time, right? Your team skill sets as well. You know, like okay. what I've seen is, uh, you know, at least whatever little I've seen, I realized that usually when someone joins you, right, it's the sweet spot, you know, when he actually starts contributing to the business is one and a half to two years. You know, when he gets the overall context of the business and he or she gets overall context. And and typically that's the time when people are quitting companies, right? As, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, as a Roda, I think the core team, everyone has been together for at least five or six years at least, you know, so which means yeah. their understanding of the business, their skill sets, everything is compounded quite a bit over time. And and the reason they're staying together is not for the money. You know, a lot of people think you can keep money, you know, you know, the final guys who Correct. come for money, go for money, right? As in, there will always be some you give more. Yeah, you'll always miss a few. Yeah. You can't catch all of them at the, in, in the filters. Yeah, so I think, I think the core team, I mean, the, the top 100 in the team, which are, I think they're, they're here for all the philosophies, you know, that you work, you know, the way we treat our customer, the way we are using our success to give forward, the way, you know, um, 
we we you know we represent for the broking ecosystem there you know and and the way i say even what i say on social media right i mean this is not me saying it you know it's really the top team saying it you know a lot of these things are something that we have discussed internally and you know i'm usually the guy you know who gets to be the face of that you know so no by the way this what you just said nitin i was listening patiently because uh, at some point uh, when we make this public i would want my team to listen to this we debate this a lot and as a venture firm uh, we are ironically have no choice but to be built in this fashion uh, because it's uh, you know with due respect to everybody who builds for 20 30 years a venture firm doesn't have a starting point unless you can plan for 20 30 years uh, so it's a it's a core of the business model and we struggle with this you know we get young aspiring kids uh, whoever wrong sense of like in that gratification coming much earlier and we try to tell them that it's going to take you 2 3 years to figure out whether you can compound <laughs> forget about the fact that you can you will compound right because it's a it's it's a learned skill set it's an apprenticeship at least in 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 lot of companies 7 out of 10 roles are functional in that sense they they you know they know what they have to come and do in venture you have to learn the trade on the fly and and i know we run very different businesses but fantastic learning so thanks for sharing and, and this becomes a moot point because you've already covered it but my team's research says that out of uh, kailash's team of 33 people only two have like churned out in the last decade yeah. that he's been here how often do you think this kind of philosophy and culture thing has to be rearticulated to remind people why they're here and uh, what 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 is a great tip for you know me or my founders on how best they should do that no i think it's again right i think when you're hurried to grow fast is i think really in terms of culture and philosophy you know getting a team together the time to do it is when you're hiring right i mean because people don't change that's correct you know if you're hiring and you know you hire someone who's not culturally fitting into your org you can then put whatever time you want and it won't fit right doesn't so i think what we've done right and even on the business side i think i've done right after kela joining us because i also thought you know more problem more people solve problems uh you know until <laughs> you know i realized they don't uh, and yeah. uh so i think kela you know if i were to think about his hiring it's just while hiring itself right as in the first question he usually asks is you know show me your hobby project you can't be a serious programmer who doesn't have a hobby project right i mean that itself filters out so many people it's not even funny right the quality of the hobby project correct correct sounds like a lovely question yeah uh, you know i think the the tech team actually are a bunch of hackers you know like uh, who like almost everything at zeroda is open source you know i mean like everything that we build for ourselves is is also open source like uh, list mark you know we build this utility to send out emails we send i don't know, like 100 million emails a month we said you know we spend i think 200 300 dollars on it like so we build this ourselves and now we are open source you know i mean and and the team loves the fact that we open source yeah i, I think to see a product out in so many millions of like hands is like is a delight in itself right and i think yeah incredible product and tech culture you know there's one advice i think uh, in terms of i think it's just about hiring right uh, also the second thing i think we've done is we've you know when 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 i've seen this happen when founders find someone exciting they tend to oversell to you know get him on board i actually undersell you know like last year someone came for a job and i said you know you're at the market top and i sure you want to join a broker you know and i showed him you know like 2008 and i said you know what this was the market top and this is what happened to the broking industry a small history lesson you have to scare them off yeah, yeah no I mean, in a sense you don't want them to come with wrong for the wrong reasons you know and it's almost like vcs as well right i mean you're you're getting a vc on board i tell you know the founders i mean you don't want to be overselling because then you're setting the wrong expectations right as in and so yeah so i think i think we are, we are constantly internally being you know quite transparent about every single thing that you know i mean every single risk out there for the business 
and yeah, I think I think all of these things together has probably helped us in some way to keep the. No, no, it's absolutely no amazing org culture, and it it shows, right? It shows, and and it's very difficult to look behind the hood, under the hood, behind the scenes, and see what is the magic. And I know you're giving us glimpses of it. It's not easy to recreate. How how many ever tips you give? But thanks for sharing very transparently. I think these are great lessons. Uh, which last seg- segment on your company building in the storyline uh, is, you know, <laughs> I'll put it bluntly. From the outside, it looks you've almost built like the perfect picture book Cinderella story, right? And uh, maybe for the audience, <laughs> you want to uh, highlight one or two things where you you made these sort of you know short term to long term compromises or people compromise. Any examples of that? And then course corrected, and uh, you know. Uh, and th- how did that further amplify this learning that you never make short-term compromises versus long-term? So, so when we started the business, right, 2010, uh, you know, there were some 25 lakh rupees left on the table. You know, uh, we had like around one and a half, 1.4 crores to start with. Uh, you know, one crore was a deposit mm. to get a membership on the exchange. And there were some 30, 40 lakhs mm. left. Nikhil was trading on it. I mean, that was really, Nikhil's trading profit was like a VC capital of sorts. You know, and uh, yeah. so yeah, so there was very little money left. So... So in a, in a business of broking, you need two things, right? One is you need a trading platform where you can place your orders and you need a back office platform where, you know, your trades are processed at the end of the day. You, you know, kind of build a ledger, send out contract notes, et cetera. You know, the first vendor we went to for a back office, we went to the person who gave it for free, you know, because we didn't have too much money. And the whole idea was as soon as we, if we become bigger, we'll be able to quickly shift. Understood. And classic startup problems it took us 10, 10 years to shift <laughs> you know because it's that 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 one thing you know as we became bigger the problem just you know just kept becoming bigger you just kept postponing that you know that that move out and and because back office is not customer facing right so you, you you're always you know as a, as a startup i think you're always you know doing whatever is customer facing first you're always prioritizing that and then you know like I think we started working our own in-house back office in 2017-18. It took us like two, three years to get over it. And it slowed us significantly, you know, as in a lot of good things that we could have done for our customers. We couldn't do it because of this technical debt of sorts that got built very early on in our journey. A great example. In fact, it reminds me, uh, there's going to be one more guest on the show, uh, Manish of uh, Teamly's, Sabarwal. And I remember first meeting them in 2007-8, about seven, eight years before their IPO. And they were racing, like they had crazy numbers. And they actually went flat for two years. They were doing exactly what you said. They had so much tech sort of, you know, debt uh, that they had created. And they realized that their business much like yours. You're trading stocks, they're trading people, right? And so they have a very thin margin. So they had to optimize the hell out of that margin that they were otherwise, you know, being given. And ironically, they deal with human assets, and you deal with uh, stocks. But but basically, they went through the same thing. And and I, I don't. I'll probably try to bring yeah. that parallel out in his life as well, because you're unafraid to express your views. India gets to hear a lot about your views uh, relative to most other public market uh, proponents, uh, other than the ones on TV channels via Twitter, etc. So just want to touch a little bit upon your understanding of the Indian consumer, right? So you said a bunch of things like, you know, you grew 10x in the last two, three years, India exploded. What has changed? Like, I know, what what did you think when you started servicing the customer? Uh, what were the insights that informed you on what you were building? And how has that changed in 10 years? Or is it fundamentally still the same with more people wanting to do this? So it'll be interesting for audiences to hear how that is 
evolved? No, I think, you know, I've been in the stock markets for the last 25 years and it's actually nothing much has changed, to be very honest. I mean, of course, the platforms have changed, but people's behavior, people, the way people deal with money is, is exactly the same, which is uh, greed is really the enabler, right? As in whatever is asset plus that is giving you the max return is where you want to be in. That's right. And everyone wants to make money quickly. you know. So yeah, the market offers all of that. Yes. The biggest change really, I think, from before Zeroda and, and to now is one is mobile, right? It's just uh, like, I, I don't understand our customer very well. You know, like we were just sitting and the other day I was, I was trying to figure how are people day trading on a mobile app? I mean, how is it even, I, I couldn't figure this out. Okay? Like, because when I used to sit and trade or even say Nikhil, you know, if you look at it, he's got like four computers, four monitors and, you know, he's got like, a like, I'm like, how do people day trade on a mobile app? I mean, it's like, but we have like 60% you know, of our day traders actually day trading on a mobile app. So I, I don't get that consumer, you know, I mean, I don't get this consumer who can actively use mobile for all of this. You know, I mean, I don't use my mobile outside of Spotify or an Audible or something like that. You know, I mean, I maybe I've, I've kind of <laughs> grown too old for that. You know, and, and and the other one is uh, is the power of social media. I mean, it's just uh, it's just I mean, in all good ways, bad ways, it's just but it's incredible hmm. because the whole idea of Zeroda itself started because of you know me having this Yahoo Messenger group or Orkut communities, right? But uh, hmm. And there was this forum called Traders G in India, which was very active. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, I used to be very active on this forum. But today it's just, you know, like so many micro influencers and, you know, like all of these people enabling in some good ways and a lot of bad ways, you know, to uh, to get uh, people to the market. So I think that is really the two things which has changed drastically over the, you know, over the last 10, 20 years, you know, in terms of what how do people decide to trade you know buy and sell which is through these influencers and how they do it using a mobile app yeah. which is uh, i don't think it's no well summarized i think you're ba- basically saying access and 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 this media explosion as i love for like lot lot more participation than you know sitting behind a computer desk and not knowing where to f- get information or access right seems to explain everything but uh what what i like about it is the fundamentally the human behavior on that front hasn't necessarily changed uh, you've just tapped into a much larger market which which brings me to you know i know you also dialogue much like we do in the industry trying to uh, keep the industry sort of self regulated informed but also grow the pie of indian money that actually comes into uh, sort of these kind of markets right stock public markets that percentage has of course crept up but we are way way lower than what you would have in let's say western markets if you have to switch that entire question, not looking at the past, but looking to the future and say, if Zeruda is still around in uh, 10, 15, 20 years, building a way for these customers, would it be more of the same or do you anticipate more demographic shifts or you know, uh, uh, tailwinds that are in your favor? What do you think Zeruda has to adapt to, to, to be able to capture that market share and, and that, that customer? I mean, see, the thing is, the business kind of has evolved over the last 13 years. It started off saying, I want to reduce cost and be transparent. Then it became about platforms. Then it became, you know, this. we started this rain matter and started, you know, like saying, we can't do everything ourselves. We need to collaborate. We also had varsity and education. And, you know, I mean, and now, you know, the question we've been asking over the last one, two years is, you know, what's the point of existing if our customers don't do better with their money because they use us, right? As in, uh, and just kind of niche platforms isn't enough. You know, I mean, you, you give a guy a Ferrari who doesn't know how to drive, it's, 
yeah so uh, we are trying now to uh, you know to, to kind of you know find ways to help customer do better so in terms of uh, you know like if you were to ask me nathan why do i get up every day to do what i'm doing i think the way we think about it is that as zeroda we today have are in a position to be able to change people's behavior you know outlook towards money as in i think india needs to take a lot more risk uh so there's so much money lying in fixed deposit gold real estate which isn't really adding to the economy right as in you need some at least a small portion of it at least from the top 1 2 3 percent of this country to be backing entrepreneurs uh, and we think with our success we can you know make some of that happen and uh, maybe like you know one of the things i've been hoping for is that there is some regulation that allows you know indians to kind of you know more actively participate in you know like at least the accredited investors etc to participate actively in you know in the private markets as well because today the problem over the last 5 to 10 years has been that most of the wealth creation is really happening in the private space and the you know the ones who are ipo haven't really created a lot of wealth for the you know indian retail uh, because the only way to get a re- you know get the retail investor in- interested and then the participation to grow over the you know over long term is is to create wealth for people right as in and that has to happen absolutely absolutely so i know we've discussed this briefly as as fellow investors uh, not just on cap tables but trying to move the industry forward so thanks for airing those views uh, uh, as you know i have an office uh, bear a position at ivca which is the industry body and i try to push uh, the regulators to think in those terms and you know allocate risk accordingly right you can't treat an hni as a like you said you know like the ferrari example if you use uh we're not trying to sell the ferrari to the two wheeler rider uh and therefore once he's as certain as capable of driving a ferrari let that in, let that industry be let that fuel you know as you said private investment into indian entrepreneurship which is dramatically better by the way the good news is it's grown like 10x in the last 5 years from what we have as aif data but you're absolutely right we should be like you know pounding the tables and and growing that another 10x 20x from here um so that's the good news now similarly on that same vein uh, and it's commendable that you're trying to educate more investors to know what risks they're taking i think i saw two strains and maybe i'm wrong so i would love your views two strains of what you're trying to do for what necessarily zero the can't achieve for every person's savings you're trying to make these for people wealthy but you can't solve for every one of their problems and i know uh, you know nikhil is doing something on the wealth side but there's there's a s- still small segments and i know we are co-investors in a few companies like small case and wind wealth and so do you actually see your two parts to your investing strategy so one is do, i know you invest out of uh, a, f- a family office vehicle do you see that as a strategy to defray this risk that zero the can't solve for every investing problem of a customer and anything that eases that and helps the same customer be better placed in investing creating wealth i want to be able to back such an entrepreneur is that where it's coming from or is there any other motivation so it's uh, because everyone in the business you know has a stake in zeroda and then we invest through a vehicle which is like you know so everyone gets participate in it you know so the the way you know we have looked at private investments till now with the aimed of fintech has been uh, we need to help indians do better with money and we we can't solve for all the problems and we need to partner with folks to do it and uh, partner and collaborate so we we haven't really gone into anything expecting any monetary returns i mean and, and i think 
thankfully the financial success we have had has given us the liberty to you know kind of have this outlook towards our investments right and uh, but going forward i think given how you know, how much the business is generating cash and and how we don't really require that cash for our own business right as in you know it's not that you're going to get up and yeah. you know want to do random things as a business you know i mean yeah uh, so i think i think uh, going forward we are planning to you know kind of uh, have more skin in the game of sorts i mean i think uh, if i were to give a right analogy i mean i uh, i think you know turn this into like a berkshire hathaway kind of a thing you know where if, if your core business is generating cash and you go use that cash and uh, kind of start you know partnering businesses and you know you know kind of take take a very similar kind of a model of sorts and uh, lovely lovely to hear that vision and now now since you brought that up i have to ask <laughs> the question if you're going to build a berkshire then you have to have give us the chance of owning a share in <laughs> so, so is there is there that uh, is that built into the ambition at some day you think you'll have a team and uh, an ambition ready to build this into maybe india's attempt at the first perpetual sort of investment vehicle uh, yeah so the thing is one of the reasons we have not thought of ipo as or other is because you know our business is not very predictable right as in the revenues are you know i mean are in sync with what happens to the nifty and Uh, i think at least you know when you're ipoing there has to be some predictability you know if you were to ask me then how much you do next year i have no answer right because my you know i my immediate response will be can you tell me what nifty will do next year then i tell you what my revenue can be uh so uh, there is no predictability today but say if you know if you were to you know start investing in these companies and and there is some predictability built you know and all our you know fortunes are not really linked to the nifty or sensex you know uh maybe then is is when you know we would actually think of saying you know maybe we should because that's the right way you know it, it has to be a listed entity you know for this to really uh, be a berkshire you know it can't be private you know so uh, hopefully you know if there is some you know some success through some of these investments eventually will it will probably list this because also i think it's almost borderline hypocritical to be the largest broker in the country and not you know say that i want so So it's great great to hear you know I think a lot of people have always wondered whether they can be a small shareholder and uh, I aspirationally you've given them hope to uh, to look forward to that in a, a few years from now so that's great so I think we already you know sort of in the last two questions quietly segued into uh, you know what you've achieved in terms of power of compounding which is the theme for the uh, for the podcast a series this year and uh, what it may look like when you start compounding zero the for the next few decades at least right uh, so so that's it is already a great segue and i have a bunch of questions before we wrap this so the first of those is, is as much as you are a trader and as much as you've uh, built the firm on that on uh, on that strong product uh, linkage with with your like for trading do you also invest in public stocks and if there are Uh, out of curiosity given that your own wealth compounds in your own organization is, are there examples of public stocks that you can share where wealth is compounded faster than your own efforts or you know where there have been great examples of this and how have you judged that from the outside no i mean all the all the public market investment actually nikhil handel said you know and he's been quite special in terms of you know his performance over the last 13 years uh, and I've heard yes I've heard good yeah, yeah. things about this. So yeah. so you, like I said right I mean one of the reasons you know we we didn't have to go out and raise venture capital right at the start was because he was sitting and trading the markets and generating returns for 
for us to be able to take the stance because you know i think the business on its own started generating cash only in 2013 so the first two three years really we survived out of this trading profits so in a way you know if i were to uh, you know think of it that that capital that he brought in because of trading it, it is almost invaluable for us you know and that has probably outperformed everything else you know so uh, but yeah but during you know uh, the last few years we you know we we are holding a bunch of stocks i mean we have a lot of exposure to banks over the last 2 3 years uh, we also sit on a lot of gold you know because we we are already over exposed to the equity markets uh, so we have quite a bit of sovereign gold bonds in our portfolio you know and uh, understood that's that's your investment mix but if i bring it back to how you've compounded value for your 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 current set of shareholders which is also your team etc any one example where you've you've judged and seen that be successful in the public markets uh you're saying you know uh let's leave that answer to nikhil but let me then switch gears and come to the startups that you back and i know you do a lot of that right uh and what indicators are you looking from these at at from these founders i know it's very similar to how we are judging but how do you know these people are likely to be winners on that power of compounding game of course we're going to get some wrong for various reasons right uh, but uh, how do you differentiate compounding and non compounding if there is a startup founder who pitches to you if you don't have a view on the public one necessarily no i mean see on the private space we've stuck around our core competency uh, so it's it's around finance and investing uh, and trading and stock market so so oh, sorry uh, all the all the private investments uh in this space uh, you know i mean mostly you know i think we have invested i think almost i think 400 500 crores till now and it's it's across 80 90 startups oh wow i didn't realize that it becomes that big it's it's more than our portfolio now it's great that you're doing this like this is what we love to see right more people enabling more startups but yeah in you know if someone comes and talks like for example small case really you know was our first investment right and uh so when the founders came they understood the market they had a a product which was solving for a real market problem they you know they seemed like decent guys and uh, and we knew that we can bring some strategic value to them right as in so in finance it's actually been quite easy because we know that almost every investment that we do more than the value that we bring in money capital is you know we bring a lot more value in terms of uh you know just just having the experience of having done this you know beat around regulations beat around hmm. quickly being able to give like a an opportunity for someone who's building a consumer facing app you know like a because you know the way we have done this for a lot of like even for small case for example you know when they first launch their product you know we showcase yeah. them to our customers as if it's our own product yeah so in a way we kind of help them to you know what would otherwise taken maybe 2 3 years to get that's right to you know we probably accelerated for them so we bring a lot of value so what happens in fintech especially around saving and trading is anytime someone out there is starting something we automatically get the deal flow correct you've done this before now you've established a, a record, track record of actually enabling this for many startups uh, and and they're all accessible i mean you i think you've backed some great founders who are also in some sense i know you're not saying it overtly but i think you've backed founders who also think open source in that sense right they're giving back they're helping other founders and that's how i've seen flow from you know the small case founders etc and if it's happening for me i'm sure it's happening tenfold for you given how focused you are in what you chase and 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 then you know it kind of extended into health you know i'm i'm kind of 
passionate about you know health fitness nutrition i think indians mm-hmm. should play more sports so the instincts don't play as well here as in finance yeah but uh, so that's why i think we're still kind of taking you know like smaller checks etc you know we're trying to uh, figure it out before we start committing larger capital and uh, and the final theme is really around um, you know climate change and this whole creation of livelihood uh, so we set up a foundation love to hear what motivated that and i know it's a personal passion and all of them seem to be driven by personal passion but please uh, maybe spend a few minutes on what you're trying to actually impact on climate change with this huge uh, sort of corpus that you've set aside no so the thing is i think it all started with actually you know kailash questioning internally saying you know that success the financial success also brings in some kind of an obligation mm. to kind of help in some way the society right as in i mean those kind of questions started you know he started asking and and then we started saying you know in a world which is as in unequal as it is today if you know people who have gotten wealthy luckily in life you know should do more to give forward and more to you know kind of uh, otherwise you know it'll just keep concentrating right and that's correct so we started like that and then uh, we anyways through rain matter were kind of giving forward th- you know like supporting entrepreneurs hmm. we said you know the two problem statements that we were associated with very closely was one around climate change and two around this whole creation of livelihood like even within hmm. our business what we realized what we were doing is as and when we are becoming more and more efficient as a business we are in a way causing job losses indirectly to the industry right as in today uh you know azeroda is just 1100 people and if azeroda was not as efficient as it is today we probably would have needed 11000 people right as in we would have probably needed 10x the team size yeah you know because these kind of questions were getting asked internally we said no let's let's pick up these two themes and start supporting uh, anyone who's trying to solve for this problem uh, yeah. so even for profits or non profits so uh, so yeah so we set up the foundation we've allocated like a thousand crores to start this and uh, we are helping non-profits and for-profits working on this space in this space and the way we have structured this is any upside from the for-profits goes back to the foundation and uh, you know it, for the team as well uh, the fact that the business is using the success to give forward is also something that i think keeps the team together as well so you know i think there were there was an important lesson there there are a lot of founders people who create wealth who say that they want to give back um and i heard that in the first part of your answer but also reading between the lines what uh, my takeaway is you want even that giving to compound in some sense right and you know chasing things that truly truly appeal to what you want to see out in the world all the things that you said about your team feeling falling in love with it the they having passion to solve for these problems will allow for that giving also to then compound and so we keep going back to you know agents of or principles of change and uh, and and what impact we can create whether it's a vc whether it is you know nitin and zero da whether it is this foundation the motivation to compound and it's fantastic that you're doing that across the core business the investing side you've seen we've seen in seven years you've gone from zero to 80 investments and and now on the on the foundation and the green side as well you've uh, managed to use media very effectively for personal branding for zero the more importantly for the right kind of messaging right what you want to what you want to send out there into the world uh, how important do you think it is for startup founders in general i know everybody can't do it it's not their cup of tea 
but also people train like we're all not founders on or ceos by definition right we train ourselves to get there uh because it's the part of the responsibility so do you think a how do you get started or any tips and how do you compound and i think you've done that as well very well it's evident right when you look at team you look at your product and your customer you look at revenues in the business and profits and you look at your initiatives outside of the core business it's central to your dna i feel uh, nitin so at least that's that's my read and so i'm 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 summarizing that for the audience and then moving to maybe some more lighter questions around how should founders think about compounding their media presence yeah no i think uh, so i you know i blew up my trading account in 2001 and hmm. uh, and i joined a call center i worked in a call center for 3 4 years you know between 2001 to 2004 5 and even before the call center and during the call center days i was also doing this multi level marketing and uh, you know trying to which is essentially sell hmm. like if i were to look back at my journey i think i have learned most of my life skills then you know and hmm. Hmm. because i think as a as a as a founder as a ceo this whole storytelling at, at least for consumer startups you know i think is a is a is a very important aspect of the business as well right as in you you, you know hmm. to be able to build a brand for the business it's very hard to build a brand without the founder storytelling it right as in yeah and you know like that the earlier thing that we spoke about in 2013 14 one of the realization also was that if we were to raise venture capital then it will probably affect the kind of stories i can say right as in mm. and i think you know as a business like the way i think about it is that you need to be able to say and do things which is very hard for your competition to say and do and and yeah the, the social media today is so powerful i was actually late in the game <laughs> you know until 2019 uh, i wasn't active on twitter or linkedin or whatever you know i actually got on to this on 2000 because until then i used to do everything through zeroda itself you know so everything that you Correct. saw you had a platform yeah i used to you know manage zeroda's handles i used to talk as zeroda on different forums you know there was no nitin kamat asach you know and you know i used to spend a lot of time speaking to journalists as in i I don't know how many India darshans I've done. You know, uh, you know, just meeting journalists across the country to get some, mm. Uh, mm. you know, get get that whole, you know, try to build that story for Zeroda in the press. And I think I I kind of realized that the you know the power of the traditional press is dwindling in I think 2017-18. Mm. And also you know social media started stop the reach for the business handles right as in you have to advertise mm. to get reach. So that's when you know I actually got onto Twitter in 2019 I think you know uh, when I started talking and. Uh, See the problem with social media is it also gives you dopamine hits, right? As in, so I mean, you need That's to... a lot. Yes. <laughs> so you need to be conscious about that as well, right? As in, yeah. Uh, so I actually have three people in our office who have the license to kill anything that I want to say. In a sense, you know, before I want to say something, I send it to them, and unless they approve it, it doesn't go through. And it's a great system. Yeah, because otherwise, you know, I I know. You know, I can just get carried away and say something when I didn't don't have to say anything, right? As in. So yeah, so I'm, you know, usually I, if I have to say something, I'll write it down, I'll think about it, I'll sleep over it, and if I feel it's still worth saying it, then I say it, right? And so I don't, I don't just fire, you know, on social media of sorts. And uh, there is a lot of work that goes behind it. You know, it does. It's not a you know random tweet or a random post that I, you know, I've thought about it quite a bit. And mm. and because you can say some of these things that others find it hard to say given their position as entrepreneurs uh, it also i think it helps build you know like a 
an audience for you as well. That's, that's, yeah, it's a tough one for people who've already taken the money. But <laughs> I think the other tips are very valuable. In fact, uh, interestingly, there's one other parallel in our lives. I, I did that for Bloom Ventures till 1415. Uh, I handled <laughs> the handle all the way till then. And I didn't have a personal handle till 15 or so. I didn't even have a handle. Forget about tweeting. So my account was created uh, much, much after Bloom. So there are, I believe in everything that you've said. So thanks for saying it out loud. You know, you're, you're building towards that IPO. You understand public markets and, and what public markets want. A parting advice for founders, I think there's going to be a deluge uh, of companies wanting to go public, right? This idea for its story from last week, there are other uh, small cap, mid cap sort of success stories. By the way, at a personal front, I want to harp on the, the success stories and show them as role models. Uh, but you know, knowing what you know, if you were the investor in their IPOs, what what advice would you give these founders? No, no, I think the problem is a lot of founders are primed for that, right? Is to look at IPO as an exit, but it isn't. You know, for the founder, it's actually the beginning of a new journey, and it's actually a lot. You know, getting retail investors who can't take as much risk. You know, retail investor is really the lowest in the food cycle in terms of risk, right? Risk appetite. That's correct. So your obligation only goes up, you know, and not down, right? As in, and I think that mental framework has to change, right? As in, uh, you know, people have to think of retail investor, you know, the, the money that a retail investor is putting in your company is an obligation and, and not think of it as, you know, some kind of an exit where you're trying to optimize for that exit and not think about the investor who's coming in. Yeah. And also, one other thing that I've seen is that, you know, as a private company, overselling sometimes is an incentive, right? As in, you know, there's an incentive to oversell, you know, as a founder. Uh, but as a public company, I think it's it's always, you know, like under promise, over deliver is the right way to do it. Because if you oversell, you know, it, it's going to come back to haunt you, right? I mean, it you will, it will. And, you know, you need to be, you know, mentally in a right framework to be able to continue running a business in the long run, right? As in, you don't want volatility. And and I think one of the ways to kill volatility and just to, you know, increase the odds of you being rational as much of <laughs> of the future as possible is to, I think, to constantly keep under-promising, under-selling versus, the, you know, vice versa. You know? So, yeah, I think, I, think, <laughs> I think these two things, I mean. This example that you gave of underselling and outperforming i've seen in action the most i don't follow public markets much but i've been always intrigued by dmart because we look at a lot of like you know uh, players in that segment we had invested in milk basket dunzo so i got intrigued and neville is uh, of course damani jito is not visible but neville is that front and he does a fantastic job of this he takes 2 3 hours every quarter talk to analysts walk them through the journey keeps it very humble keeps it very real and then just keeps outperforming, right? And it's it's an amazing story. And uh, I'm sure Zeroda will be a public story of the same nature someday. Uh, we know the man behind it thinks this way. Uh, and so a big, big thanks for sort of giving us that philosophy that guides you and what to expect the day we can all be public shareholders in uh, Zeroda. Thanks again, Nitin. Thank you for your time today. And it was, uh, it was an incredible uh, conversation. I enjoy these because I... I get to like in, in, interact with some of the best founders in the country. Love to track these decade plus, two decade plus journeys. I'm sure you've inspired a lot of our listeners, motivated them to think long term, build sustainable businesses, see what compounding can do. And uh, that's the message we want to send out this season. So thank you once again. 